0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Walter Poppy, your host of the Go To Market Podcast, where we break down go to market strategies and tactics with founders, revenue operators, and investors to get actual insights to make your go to market plans faster and more predictable. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. All right. KD, welcome to the show. Man, I'm excited
1: to be here. It's it's a Friday afternoon, just barely afternoon at this point, actually. Yeah. Like,
0: nah man, this is going be good. Let's let's riff a little yeah. bit. Uh, I'm excited. So I want to start. Uh, so did a little bit of research and saw that you did a uh, a campaign called the Shock and Awe while you were at Snack Nation. And uh, I thought it was super creative. Can you kind of run down what the, what the Shock and Awe campaign was?
1: First, I want to know how you found that. That's going back into the man, that's going back in the archives there, but, um, no, man. So shock and awe was a multi-step, um, multi-direct mail call like outbound marketing campaign that I designed at snack nation. And truly it came from just like, man, like how do I get in front of people? Right? Like I can call, 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 I can email, 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 but eventually it's like, I got to do something different. And so at the time, you know, I went to, I went to my, uh, I guess call it like founders at that point. I was like, yo, like, can I do this? Like, I want to send snacks in the mail with a note. Right. Cause I'd also been reading a lot on like direct response marketing and copywriting. I'm like, let me send them something and I'll never forget this. And I wish more people thought about it this way. Their response back was, would you be willing to pay for it? Like, and you know, we're, we're bootstrapped at this point in time. Right. You know, like, and they're like, would you be willing to pay for it? And I said, yeah, I I would I believe it'll work. That well, that yes, I think it would. And they said, "Okay, go do it." So I did. I paid for it. the first round of Shaganong. I was not making a lot of money at the time. That 200 some bucks actually meant something to me. But I made more than 10x that back by the increased response rates and the increased conversations I was having. Then we rolled it out to the entire sales org after that, man. And there were, there were many a Friday nights where we were packing boxes, sending out our own stuff to warm people up for our calls. So that was shocking on man. It's something I look back at as a very proud, proud moment.
0: Yeah, no, it was uh, super creative. And I, I think in today's world, especially with everyone doing calls and emails, you kind of have to be different. So when you're kind of thinking about that whole idea of, uh, you know, in today's world and you're thinking about how can you get people, what's your like mental framework or process on how to get in front of people?
1: So, you know, aligned with shock and awe, it's multi touch and multi channel. You have to be everywhere. You can't just call. You can't just email. You can't just call and email. It's uh, I think Jeb Blount talked about this in fanatical prospecting. I've talked about, like I've used it ever since is an, and mentality you call and email and social and video and direct mail you have to be everywhere so i think that's the first part is taking that multi-channel multi-touch approach the the second part is i mean using messaging that actually resonates with them and is memorable messaging right if i go back to that shock and awe um box man like actually i have i actually found one of my old sales letters i could pull this up like actually i'm gonna do it why not yeah let's let's do it I don't know. If it, so I found one of my old, old sales binders and in nice. Here, okay. Okay. Look at this. Look at this. I don't know if people can see the filming on this. This is one of the oh, old. Okay. So old sales letters, right? So captain human was our like mascot or logo at human and opening line. Hello, Tiffany. Did you know that one in three kids are overweight and, or obese? About two weeks ago, I sent you a letter inviting you to join human and fight obesity at your boys and girls club, but I haven't heard back. So I'm sending the second letter because I don't want you to miss your chance, a chance to make a difference, a chance to have a lasting impact on your students, a chance to be proud of what you're providing to the attendees of your club. Now I know you're busy, but here's what we're about helping you do, fight childhood obesity, right? Think about what it'll look like down the hall so know your kids are healthier because of a decision you made. Educate your students, increase revenue, Like this was what I was sending in those boxes, not hi, Tiffany. I would like to chance an opportunity to discuss the student health at your club. Right? So it's using messaging. That's like, do you think Tiffany would remember that if she opens it? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Right. So it's memorable messaging that will connect with the person that you're talking to. So many people send such
0: bland templated emails that of course no one's going to respond. So when you think about that type of copy, How do people get better at that?
1: It's getting better at knowing their prospect. So that's the first is like, what does your prospect actually care about? Like actually care about, right? I always recommend people do this exercise called the buyer's persona, sorry, the buyer's matrix by Jill Conrath. That's a must do exercise that walks through all this. Um, but also doing customer interviews, you know, how many salespeople never talk to customers. All we ever do is talk to prospects. We don't talk to customers. And so, go to your customer base and say, "Why did you buy? What problems were you hoping to solve? What were you afraid of before buying? What's your favorite part of your uh, favorite part of our product? What's changed the most since you've used our product? And how would you describe what we do to a fellow persona?" If you go ask fifty of your customers those questions, your messaging is going to get better. So there's a prospect knowledge. Then there's the people side of this talk to your prospect. Like they're a person, not a per- personas don't exist. I am not a VP of sales persona. I am Kevin Dorsey. I have feelings and emotions and hopes and dreams and fears and insecure. Like talk to me like a person. That's where people are missing. They don't know what matters to their prospects, but then they don't talk to their prospect like they're a person.
0: No. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of what's happening more and more is that treating people like people, especially in, you know, in this new normal that we have, you know, I, I completely agree. So on that note, um, uh, kind of focusing more on, you know, a lot of the different things that you do, um, a lot of things that focus on inside sales or some trends that you're seeing in today's marketplace. Um, when I look at, Well, it's actually interesting. Like inside sales is now
1: like, Oh, like, Oh, now we all have to do this. And it's like, man, it's all I've been doing for the past decade, you know? So not so much has changed there, but if I look at the trend, uh, man, sales automation has killed, just killed the industry because all these tools that came out were supposed to make it easier and better for reps to be good. But instead, what they've done is made it easier for reps to be bad, right? Everyone's sending templated emails, bots all over LinkedIn, auto dialers and voicemail drops. Like we're taking the person out of sales person. And so that is a trend. It is harder and harder to get in touch with people, right? That's a huge trend that it's just more challenging, right? Like what, what happens when a number calls you that you don't recognize on your
0: cell phone? I go, I, I hit cancel. It do not go anywhere. Yep. Right. Okay. What if it calls from a local area code? Nope. Still cancel.
1: Remember when that was a big deal? When local yep. presence came out, it was like, Oh, <laughs> we, can trick, <laughs> we can trick them at scale. And I'll be the yep. first person to say when local presence came out, it was a game changer. Right. Right. Going from four dot, like four conversations a day to 15, like it was a game changer, but then Mm -hmm. everyone does it. And now no one can do it. right? Right. So the trend in inside sales is it's getting harder and harder to get in touch with people. And then you flip that around and go to field sales. Well, one field sales as a whole is just shut down in a lot of ways right now. And I don't know if it'll ever go back to what it was before. Right. Like, do, do we ever see Dreamforce at the level it was, right? A million people descending on San Francisco. Like, who knows if we'll ever even see trade shows that way again, right? So, right. contact, getting in front of people, is definitely a big trend going on right now.
0: No, interesting. So, if everyone's kind of thinking this multi-channel approach, how do you stay out of that, or how do you stay so above that? It's the it's
1: the messaging is one, right? It's like, are you using better messaging? So I went on, um, I took my first week off of work, I think in my professional career in, um, in August, right. Like okay. I'd never actually taken like a week off of work. Like I would traveled or take a vacation, but you know, you're always a little, still bit of an email. You take a call here that I actually took my first week off of work in my life in, in August. And so imagine my inbox when I come back, Okay. So imagine how many sales people reach out to me. I'm a VP of sales at a software company. My sales org is about a hundred heads. Like a lot of people want to try to sell me stuff. Of the almost 200 sales messages I had, how many do you think were personalized? Out of, of a
0: hundred? Out of 200. Out of 200. Six.
1: Nine, <laughs> nine. Now, here's why that's so frustrating is I'm easy to find. Mm -hmm. I might be one of the easiest people you could personalize an email to. I've got Mm -hmm. thousands of LinkedIn posts. I'm on hundreds of podcasts. Like you can find something on me and reps still didn't even take the time to do that. It wouldn't have taken it. It doesn't even stand out that like personalization still like we talk about it that does help you stand out, but it's personalizing more than once. This is like the other part of this is you can't just personalize the first one and hope that that's going to get my attention because you're buried in everything else. How often do you think I get more than two personalized emails from the same person?
0: So out of that nine, I
1: would say one. Right. Just one, just one followed up with another personalized email. The rest of the emails were, You know, so what people forget when, especially when it comes to prospecting, we can talk about closing in a bit. When it comes to prospecting, your first goal really is just building awareness. Mm -hmm. Can you even build some name recognition that they see your name and start to go, wait, I've seen this before. Right. Mm -hmm. Then they read one of your emails and go, okay, well at least that wasn't a garbage email. I'm not going to respond right now, but at least it wasn't garbage. And then they see you again a week later. And it's another good email. Right. So as salespeople, we have to be better for longer now because Mm -hmm. it's being aware of like, Hey, it's harder to get in touch with people. So you got to get good at every channel, but do it consistently. I think that's a big differentiator.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So going on the closing side, what, what are you seeing there?
1: So on the closing side, you know, buyers are more educated, right? Like Mm -hmm. what's happening on the closing side. I think people have to shift to is focusing more on the how and less on the what. Okay. Like, when like for a long time for salespeople, the value was what? What's out there, right? Like if you don't talk right. to a salesperson, you don't know what's out there. You don't know what the product does. Mm-hmm. I can go to your website now and see what the product does. I can go to G two and see what people are saying about you. Mm-hmm. It's the how. How does the product actually solve the problem? Mm. People don't talk about like how does it actually solve the problems I'm facing? I know what it does. How does it solve my problems. That's a shift, right? This is why you're seeing more and more companies move to a um, product-led growth strategy where the Mm -hmm. product is actually what's doing more of like the selling because you're allowing people to use or experience the how. Most sales Mm -hmm. reps aren't very good at speaking to the how the product does the problem solving. They'll tell you what it does, but the how is different. So you have to be better versed in that But at the same time, like, yes, buyers have access to more information now, but so do we as salespeople. We just don't leverage it, right? Like the buyers are researching us. We're not always researching the buyers. How well do we know the industry that we are selling into? Mm -hmm. Most people don't, they don't know the industry. And so like that balance of power is shifted in a big way. I was just talking about this with someone the other day. They said, you know, like, Oh, well the buyers have more information now. So they hold more of the power. And I was like, Well, no, they don't have more information than we do. Mm -hmm. They just actually use it, right? Like, you know, we're talking about like snack nation and human earlier, right? Like here, did you know that employees that eat healthy all day long are 25% more likely to have higher job performance? No. Did you know across a survey of over 20,000 employees that they rated on-site food as the second most requested perk that would make them feel valued and appreciated? no. Okay. That's industry knowledge, right? Like I have access to that too, but most sales reps don't go that far. You know what I'm saying? Like, but that's just Mm -hmm. me researching the industry to know how it actually applies to what I'm selling at the time. So that's the shift on the closing side. Buyers know more now they need the how, but you need to be better versed in their industry to have those conversations.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really great. So we've done like really appreciate like the tactical and everything, um, kind of zooming out from your perspective on the go-to-market strategy, how do you approach that? Oh,
1: Jesus. How do I approach a go-to-market strategy? Um, I guess it starts with the, what, what am I Mm -hmm. trying to achieve? Right? So like whether that's a revenue mark or a certain cost of acquisition, right? First is just, what am I trying to achieve? Then I'm looking at all the different metric levers that I can pull right? So average contract value, sales cycle, close rate, um, pipeline generation, show rates. Like I'm looking at my lead conversions, every mm-hmm. metric to say like, Hey, where are my two X levers? Where, if I can X exit, do I get a five X increase down at the bottom? Now, is there a certain right. industry that closes two times higher? There's a certain type of inbound asset that's converting two times higher. Is there a certain area in the country that's doing something a little bit better, right? So I look at the what first, million dollars in revenue, whatever. Yeah. Then I'm going to, okay, like, what are all my metric levers? What information do I have in front of me right now? It says if I can double down on it, mm-hmm. I can get to that mark. And then I look at the processes and behaviors that need to be in place to get there, right? Mm-hmm. So what does my team need to be good at? What are the skills we need? What's the how right into the behaviors we need, but then what are the systems that I need to build to get us there? Whether that's a tool or removal of a roadblock or whatever else, that's how I look at a go-to-market is what am I trying to achieve? What are the metrics that add up to it from those metrics? What are the behaviors and systems and processes that I need to achieve it? And then it's all about getting my people to execute.
0: Right. No, that's really great. What's your cadence on that uh, metrics? How often are you reviewing those?
1: I end every week. I end every week with with a metric review and I'm looking at things that can and can't change in a week. Some things can change in a week, right? Those are some like the daily Mm -hmm. habits, response rates, open rates, speed to lead, inbound lead conversion. Like those can change weekly. So I look at those and there's Mm -hmm. others to make sure I'm looking at to see if it's trending the wrong way because close rate may not change in a week, but that's also where a lot of leaders might trip up is Mm -hmm. they look at it's like okay it hasn't gone down that much it went from 22 to 21.7 but then the next week it's 21.3 then the next week it's 21 it's now a trend and so now i'm going hey it's come down three weeks in a row what's happening Right? right. So I, I look at pretty much all those metrics on a weekly basis. Then when it gets to like the revenue side of things, like our cost of acquisition, like our churn rate, reject rate, those things, I'm looking at those normally monthly or quarterly.
0: Yep, Nice. So, so kind of just looking at the lag measures and then digging deeper into what's going on because of it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So as far as, you know, your whole time as a uh, best experiences, has there ever been a time with your go-to-market plans that it's failed and then what have you learned from it and how do you apply it today oh
1: i mean absolutely i think i've i've failed in every role right if you're not failing it also means you're not trying new things right so having like a good a good example okay so like one of the companies i was at like when i went in we the qualification was significantly stricter than they had kind of let me know in like the the interview process like there were seven qualifying questions I had to ask before I could even attempt to ask them like book a meeting Mm -hmm. so like imagine how challenging that is on a cold call that before you can even ask for a meeting there's seven questions that you need to ask right so that wasn't going super well. Right. So that was, I was trying different ways to do it. How can I do this? I can't seem to, to figure this out. So then actually I built a separate team where their only goal was to qualify. Right. That was all they, I paid them a flat base. There was no commission. It was like, yo, go ask these questions. And so building them out, actually like their go to market process of like, okay, these are the seven we need. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, it's probably going to take you two to three calls to get, here's how you get the first three on the first call, the next 2 the let like, and taking them through that process. So then I can right. hand off qualified leads to the SDRs. Right. So that, that right. would be an example. I think of, you know, something where, okay. I failed the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also didn't see a way to succeed staying doing what I was doing. You know, it's like how, like, what am I going to do here? They're spending most of their time. DQing people i gotta give them something different so i allocated budget accordingly to do to do that um some other oh like there um and this one wasn't so much my decision but it you know it ended up happening under my my watch but at one of the companies that they we had an inbound process right where it was going to the sdrs and then to the aes and the decision was made to send it directly to the aes and i was against that i didn't want to do it because Mm. the aes were going to stop prospecting the moment i was like once they're starting to get inbound to them they're going to stop doing the outbound they're supposed to be doing and sure Mm. enough that's what happened and our revenue took a huge hit because all of a sudden they were no longer doing their outbound prospecting so we lost that revenue and then the sdr production came down right. They weren't producing as many per head because now those inbounds weren't there supplementing. So I had to adjust quote. It's like, it got messy. That was one where that was, that was a mistake. Like it hurt our revenue in a big, big way. And you know, unfortunately that was what we did. So that was a learning lesson like, if I'm going to move pipeline, mm-hmm. is it going to create new pipeline? Like just right. because I moved it from SDR to AE, where's the lift going to come? If I'm going to make a change, what improves, from a revenue standpoint, and yep. if nothing's going to improve, then that change probably isn't worth it.
0: Yeah, and going back to your framework for go-to-market, the what and the how, mm-hmm. so makes complete sense. So, uh, kind of, you know, changing gears here. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the inside sales? Uh, let's see here, inside sales excellence.
1: Oh yeah. So it's a, it's yeah. um it's a, it's a Patreon group that that I started earlier this year, which was, I don't know if people actually will believe me on this, but like, it was a really hard decision to make because like you can sell a product, you can sell a company, you can sell all like consulting, but the moment you're just selling yourself, all the imposter syndrome starts to show up, right? Like, am I really going to do this? Like, Am I really going to ask people to give me money to, to, to have better access and to get better trainings because that's part of it is like, I am a, um, I'm a results-based individual. Like I like to see the end result I'm looking for and I love helping salespeople, and I love coaching and I love giving insights. I've been doing it for a while on LinkedIn, but then there's this gap, 1300 characters. That's what I can put on LinkedIn. And it's like, that's not like, it's not enough, right? Like to me, it was like, that's not enough to really have an impact on the people reading what I'm putting out there. So I was like, well, what if I created a community where I could actually do more, right? Mm-hmm. So like I do hour long trainings two times a month. I have an AMA. I do book reviews in there where I can give more because it's a smaller group. I got, I don't even know how many followers on LinkedIn. I don't even look, but there's, I know I'm at the connection limit. Like I'm at 40,000 connections. So like I can't even take new people unless someone so obviously they're so funny because like most people don't know when they lose a follower. I right. do. And it's like, what did I do? Like, I don't even know how to uns like what did I do that? Someone like, ooh, I'm gonna not oh, be connected with him yeah. on LinkedIn anymore. I'm like, Jesus. No, not the content. Like, I was like, yeah, you know, like it hurts. I'm like. Okay. But then it opens up a new spot for someone else. And so yeah, to have this, but like my LinkedIn inbox is a nightmare. Like there's so many messages in there, but oftentimes it's the same questions. So that's also Hmm. why I started the Patreon group is like here, like, you want to know how I think about cold calling? Here it is. You want a training on objection handling? Here it is. And that lives forever. So like, it's been a really fun experiment. It grew a lot faster than I thought it was going to. Um, And it's been fun.
0: I really enjoy it. No, it's been great. And then also you have a podcast and in that you kind of focus both on the sales, but more importantly, the person Uh, kind of, tell me more about kind of your philosophy around that. You know, I I don't even know if it's a
1: philosophy as much as like, I have this weird idea that if we take better care of ourselves, our work results also improve, you Mm -hmm. know, like everyone loves to tote this idea of work life balance. I don't, I don't agree with that, that language or that idea. Cause it makes it sound like they're two separate things. Like it's this teeter totter that you need to have perfectly like built work, life, life is the, the, is it the fulcrum, All right? Life is the fulcrum, right? Okay. It's what is doing the balancing. you can't have, I don't know if I, I'll try not to swear on this, you can't have a crummy work life and have a great home life mm-hmm. and you can't have a crummy home life and be great at work like you have life, there is no work life balance, you have a life. And so if you're not taking good care of your mental health, that affects you at work and at home. If you're not taking care of your energy, that affects you at work and at home. If you're not educating yourself that like that, so that's how I look at it, right? Is there is no work life balance. You have life and either it's going well or it's not. And so what I'm trying to encourage people to do is make sure they're taking care of themselves because it's the only them they have, and Mm -hmm. that will positively impact work and home, right? If I can get you to start meditating, well, meditation lowers stress. Will that have a positive impact on their work? Yes. Will it have a positive impact on their home? Yes, if I can get you to express gratitude on a daily basis, which rewires your brain to look for the good in the world and you become a more optimistic person. They studied this, by the way. This is the number one trait, number one trait of successful salespeople. And the, the book that it was in said they went so far as to say you could almost hire off this one trait alone: optimism. Hmm. How optimistic is the individual. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense to be a great salesperson. You have to be incredibly optimistic. You just got 10 no's in a row. An optimistic person's like, okay, but this next one I'm going to get, right? Well, gratitude helps build optimism. That's going to help them at work and at home, right? And so it's things like that, where if, if we take better care of ourselves, I think it affects everything that we do. And that's what I'm trying to help people do.
0: No, that's great. What, what type of meditation do you practice or do you recommend? Um, so
1: for getting started, I definitely recommend people just go grab, um, like headspace, calm, um, 10% happier. Like meditation, I think sometimes has this rap that like, you have to be this monk and like, you're going to sit there for an hour and you're going to go to this trans, like whatever type environment, like, It's just sitting there with your thoughts, recognizing them and letting them pass. Right. And it does Mm -hmm. so much for your mental health. It does so much for creativity, problem solving, resiliency, like does so much. So Headspace, 10% happier, calm. They all have great apps. Um, I do like two different types. There's something called the Ziva method. Um, Emily, Oh, I'm gonna get her name. I think it's Emily Fletcher is her name. Um, like work or stress less work more as one of the books, but it's called Ziva really, really good. And then there's actually an app called sync tuition that Mm -hmm. I listen to. It's a paid, a paid app, but it does like some of like the binaural, like beats and stuff as well. And like, it's really, really strong stuff. So those are the two that I practice.
0: Okay. No, interesting. How long have you been practicing for?
1: I think I really started getting into meditation about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm far from perfect. I'll go through patches where, like, I get away from it. And I can always tell. And, you know, as human beings, it's so comical. Like, we just stop doing things that are good for us. Yeah. And we wonder why we feel like crap. Or, like, oh, like, man, I've just been in a funk lately. What's going on? It's like, well, how have I been eating? Well, like, crap. Have you been exercising? No. What was the last time you meditated? damn it right like we just stop doing the things and we wonder why we don't feel good Anytime any time i get off track almost always i've stopped doing some of those things i have an acronym i've written about called germs okay right and it, w- it was way cooler before this pandemic now it's like, well, shoot, it's like an awful awful acronym but it stood for gratitude right. exercise read meditation sauna slash sleep right so those are oh. those those are my foundation am i expressing gratitude regularly am mm-hmm. i exercising am i reading am i meditating and am i getting good sleep and like the sauna is like that extra like this just to sweat it out right like sometimes mm-hmm. that is so cleansing so that's that's what i look at and if i'm not feeling my best almost always i've gotten away from one or two of those things mm-hmm. that i just need to get back to
0: yeah that makes sense on your sauna what type are you doing dry uh, Steve, what are you doing? Infrared.
1: I infrared, love it. One of the best investments I've, I think I've quite literally ever made. So I started with like the, you know, the $200 one off of Amazon. You just like
0: sitting,
1: you know, your head's <laughs> popped out, but it's hitting you and you sweat and like, yeah. but it also, I think a lot of ways, especially for people like me, it forces me to sit. It mm. forces me just to be, you can't go anywhere. Right. Oftentimes too, you can't even really use your phone in the sauna cause it overheats, right? Like it forces me just to stop for a little bit and just mm. be there and just let, like, let it sweat. So then I invested in like a call, like a full size, like it's a two person best of we, I had this in my apartment in LA, like in the master bedroom. And it was worth, it was worth it because you sit in there and you just sweat it out. Um, JHN or JNH lifestyle saunas okay phenomenal like it takes up three and a half feet in the corner go find a corner put it in there two to three times a week god so
0: nice do you uh right before bed right when you wake up what's kind of uh your preference um definitely i i prefer in the morning because if i do it right Mm. before
1: bed like i'm hot right even you know what i'm saying like even after you know you do it then you you take a cold shower and you come down but like it this is why infrared's you know, I'll say better, like I'm not a scientist on it, but like it heats you from the inside out versus outside in. Right. Mm. So like a steam room or a dry sauna, the heats on the outside, trying to warm you up infrared, it's going through. So you warm up from, so even if you get out, you're still hot for a while. So I don't like laying down, feeling hot. So I like the the morning, get that sweat out. Good to go.
0: Oh, that's great. Um, so you mentioned a lot of books this time. So by some things, avid reader, uh, what's your reading process?
1: So, my reading process, so I read tactical books, hard copy or on Kindle. I listen to call it like thought ideas or awareness type books on Audible, right? Like, audiobooks okay. aren't good for retention. And a lot of people, I think, don't quite understand that every time you're listening to an audiobook, 99% of the time, you're also doing something else. Mm-hmm. That is not how retention works. This is why you can talk to people that have listened to tons of audiobooks and they couldn't tell you a damn thing from them because you're always doing something else. You're driving, you're walking, you're exercising, you're running, you're on the bike. It's not, so I like to listen like to like theory type books there, right? Like just let me get an idea of like what's out there or whatever. Like I'm listening to a book right now, like on product creation. Right. It's not like a super tactical book. It's just like, you know, but like how to create great products, right? Like what do users look for in a great product? Right. And so I'm listening to that reading every day, at least for 30 minutes, I read and take notes. I read and take notes. I read and take notes. And that's where I think a lot of people miss with reading is they read, but then they never capture the ideas that the reading gave them. As Mm. you're reading, there's going to be moments where you read something that's going to make you think of something pause and write it down, right? What did that make you think about doing? Cause now you mm-hmm. have your action items. You can come back and go, okay, yeah, that was a good idea. Let me now go do that. Which is the last part of my reading process is like, I don't allow myself to go to the next book until I've done something from the previous book. Oh, that's really cool.
0: I haven't heard like, that before.
1: Like why, why read if you're not going to do anything, right? There's a lot of people out yeah. there reading that just love to read to say they read, look at all the books I've read. Look at all these. It's actually hilarious. The amount of people ask me if I've read all these books.
0: I'm like, why the hell
1: you think they're just chilling here? Like for for fun? (laughs) Like, yes, I've read them, most of them multiple times. I also generally I read anywhere from two to three books a month. One of them Mm. is always a reread. I'm reading Mm. it again because the first time through first again, retention, you're not going to remember everything from one read, but there's books that I've read before. I'm like, ah, that wasn't any good. I come back to it a year later and I'm go, huh? Where was I mentally? I didn't think this was a good book. This is actually good. I'm getting things from it now. Right? So I tend to reread at least one book a month just as a refresher.
0: No, oh, that's really great. So what book have you read, read the most?
1: Well, I guess the book I've reread the most is think and grow rich from Napoleon Hill. Um, I read it every year because that, that book changed my, my life for the better in a lot of ways. It was the first call self help or self development book I had ever read. Mm-hmm. so every every new year's i reread that one so that one's been read jesus what 15 times now cool. yeah 15 15 16 times now so that one's definitely my most reread um behind that one i almost always seem to come back to wooden on leadership um jack canfield success principles Awaken the Giant Within from Tony Robbins. Like those are some of the ones like I find myself coming back to the most often because they, they it's always applicable. Mm-hmm. Other books like I'll go through phases, right? Where like, um, for example, like one that I'm rereading every month right now is called Actionable Gamification by Yu Kai Chow. Like. I'm just reading it over and over and over again because I'm obsessed with some of the things he's talking about in there. And I want to make sure I'm getting all the ideas I can and taking all the actions I can from it. So I'll go through like bursts like that, where I'm like, okay, like I'm going to read this month after month
0: after a month until I feel like I've really gotten all the juice out of it. Oh, that's, that's, that's really cool. No, that's really interesting. Um, kind of going back though, combining your, uh, insight, cell excellence, um, being a VP, obviously leading by example for, you know, self-care and everything else. How do you encourage, uh, you know, people in your Patreon group and your employees, uh, how to do that for themselves?
1: So the, I mean, with my team, I can talk to is like, I allow the space to do so. Like I've done guided meditations with and for my team. We do goal setting training. We do visualization training. Like just this past month, I gave them two books and said, Hey, if you want these there are two books on mental mental health one was the happiness advantage by sean acor the other one was um the subtle art of not giving a fuck by i always forget his his name but it's just they're two of my favorite books on mental health so okay. if you want them buy them and expense it all i ask for is proof of purchase and then once everyone has bought it we'll go through these chapters together to, you know to finish out this year right so like it's something we talk about regularly so there's i you know A lot of leaders don't, one, it's almost like they don't talk about this kind of stuff, right? Like they just stay away from it completely. I try to talk about it, and I also try to encourage it, right? There's a big difference between allowing and encouraging. You know, I'd be willing to bet if you ask a lot of sales leaders, like, would you allow your reps to take a day off for mental health? They'll say yes, they'd allow it. Big difference, do you encourage it? Do you bring it up often? Do you work with your managers around it, right? How have you built these things into your team, right? So that's how I really encourage my team to do it. And it's something I bring up often. Like, I just signed up my whole, this was um, earlier this year, right, probably April, May, signed up my whole team on an app called Rise Sleep. Okay, right, it's a sleep, it's a sleep app that helps mm-hmm. you, you know, get more and better sleep. Why? Because sleep is important. Right. And we're all stressed out. We're all in front of screens. Now everyone's like staying in their homes. People like the amount of like less sleep people are getting, even though they're at home more now. So like, I was like, all right, this is something again, like you encourage it. Like, Hey y'all, this is here for you. It's a resource. I'm encouraging you to use it. Not like, Hey, if you want this, like go for it. Like, no, y'all go, go do this. So that's, I think a a difference is you got to encourage it, not just allow it. You got to encourage it.
0: Yeah. What, what is, what do you see as like a, a result of you encouraging these things? What, what are the benefits you receive? Um, at least 20% of
1: people do them and then they're happier right? They have more energy. They feel better, right? They can recover faster. They just have, mm-hmm. they, they have more fun at work. You know, it's that type of stuff. It's not, and that's why I think a lot of people don't do it or they don't stick with it long enough because it's not like an, Oh, I saw 17% increase because my team started meditating. You're right, I don't have that. But can I point to say like the energy level was different when we did it? Yes. Do I get a few Slack messages from people afterwards going, thank you? Yes. You're know the last time I got thanked for a cold calling blitz. Uh, never, never. Right. <laughs> so like you got to give some of those things too. And like people are like, Oh, like you took them off the phones. Yeah, I did. I took them off the phones to talk about meditation or to do a guided visualization exercise. Why? Because it helps them it's better for them. Right. So it's not an overnight thing and not everyone will stick with it. Not everyone will do it, but if even 20% of them do, that's a win. Cause they're, they're going to be better. And that's what I'm trying to do.
0: No, that's great. Um, so we've talked a lot about these different processes and habits. Is there anything that we've, uh, haven't talked about that you think would be good to bring up?
1: Um, I guess I think the the last thing I would just touch on is just starting small. Mm -hmm. And that's been a big shift of mine over the years too, is like, you know, high achievers, sales leaders, we tend to set these big goals and like, all right, we're going to go blow this number out and all that, like starting smaller, right? That Kaizen approach of like, all right, if you have, you know, we talked about go to market, I can't double something overnight, right? I can't pull a lever overnight to do it. It's building out a plan that can build on itself to get there right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, close rates, 20%, I want to get it to 30. Cool. How do I get it to 22? Mm-hmm. Then how do I get it to 24? Then how do I get it to 28? Then I get to 30, right? So when it comes to like the things we've been talking about, when it comes with changes and goals, you need to start smaller, right? If you're trying to get your reps to make a hundred dials a day and they're making 30 right now, don't come out tomorrow and be like, let's go y'all hundred dials. Get them to 35,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then get them to 40, and then get it like so. That would be the last, I think, tip I'd give people is like any goal that you're setting, any change that you're trying to make, work it into super small, like laughably small chunks, right? Hey, you didn't hit quota last month. We got to get you to quota this month. No, I got to get 10% more out of you this month. Because if I can get 10% more out of you this month, and 10% Dude. more the next month, and 10% more the next month, Now we're there, but you're not going to make 30, 40, 50% jumps in 30 days. So I think that'd be the last thing I'd just advise people is even as you listen to this, don't like run out there and be like, Oh, I'm gonna go do all these things, right? Start really, really small and let them build.
0: No, that's great. Um, earlier you mentioned that, uh, people are not uh, coming from a cold is hopes and dreams that you are a VP of sales. You're doing all these things. What are your hopes and dreams? Like what's your next big thing? Oh man. I
1: mean, right now it's still very focused on, on my team at patient pop trying to build this thing out. Like the sales team vision is to be the best sales team in America. And that is still the vision that I strive for every single day is how can we be the best team in America? Um, you know, eventually I'd sure, I'd like to go the founder route, you know, like, start my own company. I've been helping other people sell their products for a while. So it'd be pretty cool to eventually have my, my own. So that would be a lot of fun. And then, you know, the dream, dream is to get the, uh, get the family to Costa Rica for a bit. Costa Rica is my favorite place in, in the world. And I would love to take like a gap year or two down there and live there and just be around it. Like, I just love, I just love the country. I love the people. I love the food. And I also love who I am there. It's slower. It's calmer. Mm -hmm it brings a slightly different side out of me. Like as I'm, I'm a hyper competitive individual, which, you know, places like LA isn't always the best for because there's always someone faster, richer, younger, more successful, doing more. You know, you got the venture capital, all this Costa Rica. They're like, yo, calm down, dude. Like what are you driving a Benz for? You don't need a Benz. Go get a, fucking hoopty, you know, like just chill. And I love that. I love that feel. So that's the, the dream dream. Get down to Costa Rica, right? Chill for a little bit and then I'll probably get the it's and do it all over again. But you know, that's down the road.
0: Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Uh, last question. Um, what's a message that you want people to leave with after our conversation today?
1: Live better, sell better. Take care of yourself take care of yourself, it will impact every other place that you're trying to see your results. The better you take care of yourself, the better your results will be anywhere and live with intention. Be intentional, right? Like, are you intentionally giving the attention to your family? Are you intentionally going to work trying to succeed? Are you intentionally waking up even trying to be your best self? Most of us don't even try to be our best selves. We don't even try live with intention, like be intentional in what you're doing. You know, I talk about it with my managers and my team. Five minutes of intention is better than an hour of attention. Like Mm -hmm. if I walk out this door right now and intention, I'm like, I'm going to make Lily laugh. That five minutes of me going, I'm going to go make her laugh would be better than an hour of watching her play. Right. Right. Or being on the couch on my phone. So live better, sell better, live with intention. Y'all, that would be my parting advice. All right. Thank you, Kevin. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely.